Hey everybody, this is Eileen Email with In Phase In Tune with Autism Podcast. Here we'll discuss mindset, efforts to increase mind-body connection, and much more as it pertains to autism. My hope is that this information will reach those who need it and help provide a better understanding of the mind and body of someone with autism. Today, my guest, Shelly Carnes, gives so many important insights when it comes to autism, and I've learned a lot from our conversation. Hopefully, you will too. I know I have new names to look up and some reading to do. Shelly has over 25 years of experience in partnering with the autistic community. She is a licensed occupational therapist and an expert DIR floor time provider and is one of the co-founders and head of school at the Hirsch Academy in Atlanta. Shelly has a Bachelor's of Science in Rehabilitation Science from Auburn University and a Master's in Occupational Therapy from Bernal University. She is a passionate supporter and advocate for the neurodivergent community and is a voracious learner of what more can be done to support and empower the beliefs behind neurodiversity. Shelly loves being a wife and a mom to two kids and two furry animals. She loves exploring outside, playing the piano, and will dance any chance she gets. Please enjoy our conversation. I know I did. All right. Well, let's just jump right in. So first, can you tell us about Hirsch and kind of like your history and your knowledge and experience that led you to Hirsch? Sure. I would love to. It's one of my favorite topics. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Hirsch Academy is a private school in Atlanta, Georgia, and we support neurodivergent students. And the age range that we support is five five years of age to 14 years of age. And this, I can't believe it, is our 16th year. And, you know, our students have a range. I know you came to visit and you probably saw that range. So we have a variety of differences that we support, um, but mostly as it relates to students' sensory needs, their motor needs, and especially their communication differences. Your school is amazing, by the way. It was it was just like such a big inspiration when I was first starting out and first learning about the letter boards and, and learning about like presuming competence and everything, that concept. And I was just like blown away. And it's I feel like I, I really needed to see it in order to realize, whoa, this is I need to get into this, you know. <laughs> Um, yeah. So yeah, I want to know, how did you get there? You know, because I know you weren't always there either with the presuming competence. Oh, yeah, no, we made tons of mistakes. And it is quite the journey, actually. (laughs) Um, So my background is I've been in the field for about 25 years. So Mm -hmm. I was trained as an occupational therapist. um, And I started out in clinics and working as a consultant in schools. Um, And one of my families came to me and they had this like powerful vision of starting a new school that really supports these kids that are misunderstood, that really needed a place to learn and to, um, you know, have friends and really something that they really deserved. Because what was happening is there was many schools that just it was the missing piece was understanding their sensory needs. Um, Mm. So for example, you know, when kids go underneath the desk, that could be seen as a behavior issue. When actually Mm. I looked at it as an OT and said, Hey, that kid is really smart. He's got an accommodation for himself. He's overwhelmed and he needs a spot. Um, So they came to me and they said, you know, let's start a school. And I said, okay, because I had been, kind of pounding the pavement, trying to 
um, advocate for these kids. And it was kind of going on brick walls. And that was a long time ago. So this was 18 years ago. Um, So things have changed um, tremendously with the understanding of sensory differences and sensory integration. So that's a, that's the good news. But when the parents um, asked me to join, I jumped on the opportunity and the good, the, the most interesting piece of this is that I didn't know a lot about schools. I didn't know I was an OG. And so right, yeah. I, was, I was really comfortable with asking for advice from the community, from professionals that were experts in the field, um, academic consultants, you know, how would you support these kids? We, we traveled, some of the board members and I, we traveled around the country looking at other schools that support the same kind of kids. And Yeah. And, you know, so we thought we had a good foundation, Mm -hmm. but I still felt like we were missing something. And again, I was just a voracious learner. So I kept asking and asking and asking for advice. And the, the game changer, the, the community that made all the difference in the world was not the, not the professional community. It was Mm -hmm. the autistic community. So What we did is we started asking adults with similar differences, motor differences or sensory differences um, that our students had. And they came in and gave us all kinds of advice. And that that was the game changer right there. Yeah. So what did they tell you guys that just kind of blew your mind or opened your world a whole a whole bunch? Oh my gosh, everything. <laughs> so it was very humbling. That was those were the humbling years. Um, so they walked in and we had a number of different advocates. So um the autistic adults, I'm gonna call self-advocates. And and really it wasn't just autism, it was a, a number of different disabilities, you know, that these individuals had. But the common thread was that they were very similar to our students. They had very similar life experiences as our students. So again, you know, we try to create this school from a neurotypical perspective. Even the Mm -hmm. professionals we asked in the beginning were neurotypical. Well, Mm -hmm. now we were opening the door to neurodivergent adults and Mm -hmm. opinions. And so, for example, just as simple as, you know, they walked in and, you know, one of the individuals said, oh, my gosh, your lights are too too bright. (laughs) You know, it was fluorescent lighting. Um, And I said, oh, that's an easy one to, to Mm -hmm. change. And then another advocate came in and said, um, there's a high pitch scream when you walk in the front door and we Mm -hmm. were looking around and sure enough, there's a router plugged in right there. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So that was, um, and you know, it's one of those things where right when they, they identify it, it's like, I could then hear, I could hear it. It's a, you know, it's so faint, but for, someone that's very sensitive to sound that can be not only, you know, annoying, but it can be, um, it can actually be harmful. It could really hurt their ears. Right. It can be so painful and like disruptive to their regulation and their, their system. And, you know, we don't think about those things, but it's funny how, whenever you start opening your mind to these things, you become more sensitive too. you're like, like, because before I worked in clinic too, I worked as a behavioral therapist Mm -hmm. and I mean, of course, and you know, we, we've done a lot of good work there, but of course everything was 
looked on, looked at from the outside and seen as a behavior. And we never looked at the inside of, you know, maybe it's all the, all this noise making them escalate. And so when you open your mind to it, you really see, oh, well, this is bothering you. Well, this is hurting your system. So yeah, it just really opened my mind. Exactly. And, and it opens our minds of who should we be asking, you know, whose advice Mm -hmm. should we be getting? Um, So that was a big turnaround for us, you know, and as I said, like they came in and they talked about ventilation, they, you know, had all these different incredible pieces of advice. And it was different, like each person that came in, they have a different sensory lens. Um, Mm. However, they all, they all said, why are you teaching these kids so low? Why is the curriculum so low? Right. And Mm -hmm. it stumped me because I said, well, their IQ scores are really, you know, they're, you know, developmentally at, you know, a a kindergarten level and they, you know, they're 12 um, or the, you know, some of the professional experts that gave us advice, you know, academic consultants, et cetera, in the past told us, you know, go low and slow and do some repetition, make sure they really understand the content. And, and, you know, we believed it. And I mean, we knew that the IQ scores were probably off a little bit, but we had no idea. And, you know, the kids that they were talking about were the same kids that were repeating Pete the Cat um, oh, oh my gosh. Thomas the train. <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, I was like, but they're, you know, they love Pete the cat. <laughs> and right, they right. said, how do you know that? Are you yeah. offering other communication supports for them to be able to tell you? And mm-hmm. I said, no, they are. <laughs> we don't have that. And that yeah. was the big leap to understanding how to support these kids, even if they have speech how to make Mm. sure that we're digging deep enough um, to get the communication access so they can tell us what they're understanding, tell us their questions and tell us what they want to learn about. So we went from Pete the cat. uh, I'll talk about this one 12 year old (laughs) who repeated the lines from Pete the cat. We thought she loved it. Well, we were wrong. Uh Um, So she, so we were able to switch from Pete the cat to the next week, Romeo and Juliet, which is a much fitting, a much more appropriate novel for a 13 year old. And then Uh when we were able, you know, we had to get intense training for communication access. So to help them communicate through AAC, which is alternative and augmentative communication supports. So when we were able to present you know to actually dig into the um her communication access she spelled out mm-hmm. i feel like i'm like stephen hawking i'm brilliant please get the baby mm-hmm. books out of the classroom oh yeah uh-huh. so it was a very humbling experience but it was um very you know eye opening and we switched automatically so even though we made all these mistakes in the past right when we found out a new way of looking at our students, then we changed everything and we've never looked back. I love that. I love that. And that's right where I am too. And can we scale back a little bit for the audience to really explain what's going on here? Because you and I both know and we've experienced it and we're in the world, but can you explain why somebody would be, you know, reciting Pete the Cat and looking at baby books over and over and then 
when you switch to purposeful movement and not just a, and not just a um, motor loop. So can you explain that a little bit? Because I mean, I, I understand it, but I feel like for our audience, they might be like, what are you guys talking? Sure. About? Well, it's not common knowledge. You know, it's not, um, it's not something that is taught in schools, you know, for example, it needs to be, and it should be, and hopefully we'll get there. But if you understand the neurology and understand what's happening um, in the brains and neurology of our students, it makes, it makes sense. So our students have apraxia. So if you have apraxia, you struggle with purposeful movement. It's not a cognition issue. So that is common knowledge. So apraxia is a common term. Um, However, it's not commonly linked to the non-speaking or non-reliably speaking population. But it really needs to be because what's happening in the brain, and their brain is perfectly beautiful and, and wonderful, It's just the connections Mm -hmm. leading to the muscles. And so Mm -hmm. it's what output exactly it's an expressive, it's an expressive issue. It's not a language deficit. Right. Comprehension is intact. Exactly. And so that is why these communication supports work and can pull it out. So just because Mm -hmm. they're repeating um, Pete the Mm -hmm. cat doesn't mean that's what they are intending or even want to say. And that's hard for neurotypicals because we it's hard for them to understand, right? right? Exactly. It's really mm-hmm. difficult. And it, and it takes a mind shift. It takes a totally. mind shift to also admit you might be wrong about what Absolutely. you've been doing for the past five, 10, 20, 50 years with, with right. and it, yeah, I was there. I was absolutely there. And I mean, I, because my first experience was seeing somebody that I had worked with for, I had been in the same clinic as then my client for like three years. And then I saw her typing out full sentences where she sometimes couldn't, you know, touch banana in a field of eight pictures so I was very confused as to what was going on right and so you're absolutely right it takes that mind shift to really understand that um you know these guys have a real it's a motor issue just like you said and it's an initiation problem they need somebody from the outside to help initiate and prompt purposeful movement exactly um Right. To bring about, hey, the comprehension is there and it's intact and, you know, it's an output problem. But um, I'm sorry, I'll let you continue. Well, no, you're right. You're so right. And I think that's why people are confused or people that are naysayers, the ones that are saying, well, surely somebody is influencing that child or somebody is moving a letter board, you know, that, you know, like the adult that's working with the child is actually is somehow influencing the child's thoughts. And the reason why Mm -hmm. the naysayers, I think, are so focused on the communication support is that they cannot believe that these kids might have the level of competency that they're showing. And that is the big elephant in the room. So it's interesting Mm -hmm. how all of these naysayers, and there's so much controversy around these communication supports, which is a travesty. It's really, you know, these kids have, you know, they have to prove themselves every day. And then I think, I think all the time. And then Mm -hmm. to have the community just kind of squashing them over and over and, 
Um, it's just, it's really unfortunate, but the elephant in the room, like I said, is they can't imagine that these kids could really have this intellect that's in there because of what they're presenting with their bodies. They might be, you know, repeating Pete the cat, or they might be, you know, their bodies might be impulsive and they might um, knock over things and, or, and, or they might be wearing a pull-up at age 16. And that has always Mm -hmm. been, you know, connected with an intellectual disability. If you have a motor disability, you have an intellectual disability, which is not true. That is not not true. true. And if Mm -hmm. you understood, if they took the time to really understand the neurology and what's happening Mm -hmm. and really even understand what parts of the brain are supporting cognition is the language Mm -hmm. centers of the brain. And so they, there's no motor involvement in language centers of the brain. So language is comprehension and it's forming what you want to, it's kind of like forming your thoughts of what you want to say. And there's no motor involvement there. Right. Absolutely. And, and, and that's what I wonder, why is the focus not on the neurology? Because to me now that, you know, I've been three years into it, I'm like, wow, all this time that I was working with these children, I was just looking at what was on the outside and I was never like, of course they're having trouble doing this. You know, of course they're having trouble walking 10 feet and to go get um, a water bottle when I tell them to go get the water bottle because it's a motor issue. Like, of course they understand go get the water bottle. But if let's say if you have, you know, you have your mouth taped in your, and your hands like tied behind your back and your feet tied up, like it might be like that, you know, go get the water right. bottle. And <laughs> you're, you know, what, like, you know how to do it. You know, you know right, what you, you need to do. do. You understand the directions. But right. your body's not going to cooperate. It's not going to let you do it because you're tied up, you know? Yeah. And there, right. there is lots of research out there that supports this. Okay. So there are researchers. Okay. Um, Dr. Elizabeth Torres is one that's um, a pioneer in this field that she studied what's happening between the, the neuronal connections of our students. And so she said the nervous system is beautiful and fine and the brain is fine, but the past, the message passage passaging between neurons is messy. Uh And so it's just the synapse that in between those neurons, that's either giving too much information or not enough information. And so that's going to impact the motor system. So the sensory drives the motor. So that's part of the issue. Um, there's also eye tracking right. studies. I think um, Vikram Joswell, he just created one a couple of years ago where um, there was a study of this community um, and they, he studied their eyes, eye tracking, like where their eyes were resting on the letter board when they were actually communicating. And it shows mm. that they're the ones doing it, you know, they're, and it's, and it's oh, unfortunate yeah. that we have to have all these studies to prove it, you know, but it is what it is. Yeah. It is what it is, right? But it is unfortunate because I, I'm at the point where people ask me questions. I almost get defensive, and then I'm like, "No, you have to relax." Um, but my husband's like, "You know, it's just if eventually people will know." But right now, you know, you can you can explain it and do it so well, but people won't understand because they'll see what 
what they see. And it's kind of like, you know, the perfect example of don't judge a book by its right. cover. But well, and um, I, I have come across a lot of professionals and a lot of people that don't believe and I have some compassion for them because guess what? I was one of those too. So I feel right, like the right. more that people like me who shifted can talk about our stories and our, yeah. you know, and that shift and to admit, guess what? Oh my gosh, I was completely wrong. I was completely wrong. Yeah. I did not right. serve these students the way we should have. But guess mm -hmm. what? When I found out a new way, a better way, I shifted in 24 yeah. hours and helped my staff do that. So that's, that's an important piece to share because if you're vulnerable or if I'm vulnerable mm -hmm. about it, then maybe someone will be that much, you know, to be a little to think a little bit more flexibly. Oh, absolutely. So important. So yeah, I, that's why I'm so glad we're getting to do this today. How have your interactions been with parents and, and what's the most important thing for them to know? Um, the parents who don't know yet. Oh, about I, love, I love that question. It's such an important yeah. question. And it's so simple. The answer is so simple. So I have a lot <laughs> of parents that come through because they come through, you know, in tours um, and professionals too. And my simple piece of advice is start learning from self-advocates. Start finding the autistic community. If your child's autistic, find those self-advocates in the community that one, you can learn from. So, I mean, there, there's a huge community out there with blogs and videos and presentations. Yeah. But guess what? Yeah. I mean, these, these individuals, they want to share their knowledge. They want to help new parents or parents that have um, families that have just been diagnosed with autism, for example, or um, ones that, you know, maybe don't believe. Um, so we actually have at Hirsch a visionary board of directors. And so it's filled with 14 self-advocates. And so oh, wow. what awesome. I try to do is whenever I present or, you know, if, if I'm, you know, talking to a group of people, I'm always, and if someone invites me to do that, then I say, well, how about I bring some self-advocates? Because once they start sharing their message, they're the ones that are going to shift minds. It's not me. I'm not going to, I'd like to think that, but I didn't believe, I, I mean, I knew about RPM, which is a communication support system. I knew about some different approaches before I shifted, but the people that, that really shifted me were those that right. live with this experience. So that would be my number one piece of advice is let me okay. give you a list of self-advocates and, and then you explore mm -hmm. them and contact them, email them, um, find them on Facebook mm -hmm. because they want to support you and they want to help. They want to help. So it doesn't take an enormous amount of time for people's minds to shift. And the good news right, is right. we are having more families come to us that are, that have children that are four and five years old that are I ready. That. Mm -hmm. So I do feel like yeah. there is some there, you know, all of this work that everyone has done. I feel like the waves are, are rippling. I feel like it is, it's, it's helping. Absolutely. And that's why these pod, you know, this podcast is so 
so important. Um, conferences are so important and really putting the self-advocates up on stage in the front. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. In the front, because it's their experience that will change your mind. Yes. Yeah. Cause seeing it with my own eyes, my own student, you know, express herself in that way and just being blown away. And I knew at that moment, I was like, I have to figure out what this is. (laughs) Exactly. That's what it takes. Yeah. So as far as presuming confidence, some people might be hearing about this for the first time. Can you talk about the type of language you would use? Like, I know it's, you know, always including the client or the student in that conversation and, you know, what type of language to use? Because I know back in the, my behavioral clinic days, we would always in the room when they were in the room, refer to them as he or she and, and not speak to them directly, you know? Yep. I've done that too. (laughs) I've done that too, you know, and so looking back at it, I'm like, oh my goodness. It's painful to think about. I think, um, I think to simplify the message, because presuming competence, it's like, well, of course we do that. We believe in our students. Like, you know, I heard that term too, before I shifted. I think the most simple way to describe it is talk to the child, like their age. Like if you're, if they're eight years old, talk to them like they're eight years old and read to them age level material. I think it's as simple as that. Yeah. What do other eight-year-olds like? They like Legos. Okay, I know they've got a motor disability, but let's get some Legos that are larger and see what we can do or what we can build. So I think that's, right. I think the more simple the message, the better. And I'm still working mm-hmm. on that piece too of how how to do that, how to simplify. Because, you know, the parents that I work with, they're really incredible and um and they, you know, we throw out a lot of terms, right? And so they've even asked for like a glossary of terms to define it because <laughs> there's so many. This is a whole, this is a paradigm shift. Yes, absolutely. Right. So when new, you enter you know? the doors of her right. or, or this community, mm-hmm. you have a whole new world mm-hmm. to, to learn about and to understand. And so there's a lot of pieces to that. Um, and language is an important one, like the difference between non-speaking versus non-verbal. We used to say mm-hmm. non-verbal. Mm-hmm. I used to say non-verbal as it relates to students that do not speak. And now I've learned from the non-speaking community that it's non-speaking because non-speaking. verbal means language, comprehension, the ability right. to be able right. to have those components. Well, they do have that. So that's not an accurate term. Non-speaking is purely focused on the motor output. So that's why that makes more mm-hmm. sense. So non-speaking versus non-verbal is a much more accurate and a much more respectful term. Yeah. Thank you for explaining that for us. So can you tell us a little bit about IQ tests and how they test and why these students score sure. so low? That is a very common question. And, if, and as I mentioned before, we got this wrong early on where we really believed mm-hmm. that the scores were somewhat of an indicator of what this child could learn. But when you think about it, so IQ tests require cognitive and motor ability. So the motor ability is the ability to point, to say, to show their answer. 
and that's all motor and they've got a motor disability. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so, you know, there's yeah. a quote. We're not accounting right. for the limitations. And again, apraxia does not affect intelligence, but does create problems with demonstration of comprehension. So if you have a motor disability, you're going to have trouble pointing to the answer, saying the answer and showing the answer. And IQ tests mm-hmm. do not allow for accommodations like like a AAC device or a communication mm-hmm. board or a, a letter board. So mm-hmm. the standard IQ exams are really only designed for people do, that do not have motor difficulties. And it's. Oh, I love that, how you explain that. It, it just it just shows the problem with the design. And it's yeah, I mean, it's catered to somebody who has the perfect motor system, which is not the autistic right. population. There is one of my yeah. I'm going to try to quote this, but there was um, one of our visionary board members. His name is Damon Kierspon, and he had an awesome quote. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to try to remember it. Um, but he has his own blog um, and a great video if you wanted to look him up, if, it, if you're Listeners wanted to look him up on Facebook. He's on, he's on there. But he said, when I would master a skill, I was thought to have finally grasped the concept rather than the real truth. Mm. My body finally learned to mm. respond correctly to a task my mind understood the first time. So he understood right. the whole time, but his body was not cooperating. Oh, so that's God. apraxia. And that's what they, the self-advocates call mm. the brain-body disconnect. So oftentimes that's how they define it. And that's a really good visual description. It's like the brain body disconnect and they've talked about it before. So as we mentioned earlier, and I think you talked about this, there's, there's kids that struggle with impulsivity and they, you know, they might drink someone else's water bottle or they might knock over something. Um, And they have talked about afterwards that they want to put their body in time out, that their body's embarrassing them, you know? Right. They're mad at their body and it's like their body's running the show and they just have to go. Imagine like, you know, you're in this body, it's not cooperating. You have to prove yourself constantly. And these, this is a remarkable community of humans. <laughs> I mean, they are so resilient and they need mm-hmm. our support and they need oh, our God. understanding. And it is an honor to work with them. I mean, I, I learned so much and I'm still humbled. Like I'm not, I am nowhere near an expert, but I do know who to ask now. <laughs> I do know who to ask for advice. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. I feel the same way. I've my world has just changed in every way, just working with these guys in this way. And they just have so much insight to offer. And yeah, like you said, you really have to put yourself in their shoes and, and realize every single second can be a challenge, you know? And then on top, on top of that, you have to prove yourself, you know? And yeah, I have gotten that from my students. They'll get mad at their body. They'll, they'll call their body like a toddler who's just a fit, you know, and that's why I think it's important for parents to hear this who haven't been exposed to this yet, because, you know, I have clients like this who will, their body will just, and I think it, and you can tell me if you think this is along the right lines of thinking. It's like, if the body gets dysregulated enough and gets escalated enough, is it almost like a ball rolling down a hill with behaviors that they just can't stop? 
so, and, and so like, I don't know, it could be anything. It could be, yes. you know, throwing stuff. It could be taking right. off your clothes. And so from outside, it looked like, wow, they're just throwing right. a big crazy fit. But from the inside and, and, and these behaviors are these things that are, you think that are impulses that are happening or is it behaviors that have been learned in the past to get their points across? Like, Hmm. Well, I think it's an impulse. I do think that it might have started as, you know, um, trying to get attention maybe or, you know, trying to communicate. (laughs) Like I'm stuck in this body and then their body is stuck doing it. I've seen that a lot. Um, And there's a lot of frustration with that. I can tell you how I handle that. And maybe this would be good for your listeners because Again, I come from, uh, you know, we all at my school, the staff comes from a very compassionate place. These are kids that want to do the right Mm -hmm. thing. They're most often we have a lot of perfectionists here that, you know, they get frustrated with themselves. Um, So I, Mm -hmm. I always let the child know, and we just had a child that flipped over a table the other day. And I, you know, you know, when I was called down there, I said, you know, you're not in trouble. Um, and this is just mm-hmm. a harder body day and it's okay. Like we're going to, we're, yeah. we're going to figure this out. And guess what? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of students that come to mm-hmm. the school and that are out there, not even at the school that struggle with the same things with their bodies. <laughs> and we just have to figure out what's going to work. And, you know, tomorrow's going to be a better mm-hmm. day and there might be another harder day. Um, but we're going to be with you and we're going to figure this out together. And that's what I say to any child, you know, and that's struggling, really, I mean, it doesn't have to be a non speaking student, or it's, you know, because everybody wants to do the right thing. And if you come at it like that, then guess what, they're going to be more motivated to, Mm -hmm. to try because they do have to work extra, extra hard um, to overcome those impulses, they have to work really hard. So we have to give what we call encouraging words. You can do this. You know, if there Uh was like, um, there's a common, like if you're at a restaurant and they're getting, you know, a, a child might be getting up to go and they're, they have to travel across, you know, like in the middle of the dining room, let's say, and they're, impulse is is their hand is reaching out and eating food from other people's plates that's a common one um and so Mm -hmm. what that what we would do for that is you know at the table before we would even get up we would say okay so bobby this is this is typically tricky your body tends to want to reach out and grab food right now so how about this Mm -hmm. we're going to walk the perimeter of the restaurant this time, we're not going to do the same thing that we did last time um, because that was tricky for your body. Mm. So it, it was really a trigger for your impulse. So this time we're going to, we're going to go around the perimeter and we might walk sideways or we might play your favorite song, just anything that's going to help him override Mm. that impulsivity, but we don't blame him. We don't think that he has, you know, he has a little bit of control, but he doesn't have a lot. That's a lot to ask someone to control those impulses. Um, so we just really have to right, figure out right. strategies with that person. I love that. I feel like that is so helpful. And of course it goes along with presuming competence because I don't know if you, if you don't know about the presuming competence concepts, like you would never think to have that conversation with your child, but I just, I love that. I feel like 
hopefully this will reach the right people. And, and really, if you have that demeanor and if you are speaking to them, um, you know, at their age level, you will see, you will see their world change. And, and, you know, you'll see that they will be motivated by, by nothing from the outside. They, you know, like, and that was the thing that got me in the beginning too. It's like, oh, wow, I can sit down and do a 50 minute session Mm -hmm. with this child who, who needed a cookie every two minutes before. (laughs) (laughs) Just thinking about that shift, because my mindset at the beginning when I was in behavior was reinforcement, reinforcement, what's the reinforcer. And it's like, wow, you realize that, you know, now, I mean, all of my students can sit down for an hour and have a conversation. Right. So it's well, pretty amazing. you for understanding that you have a responsibility to share that and how important that is um, mm, because that's an important you. story to tell from your end, just like mine's an, an important story to tell um, from mm-hmm. my end. So mm-hmm. it's important for all of us to do that. I agree. Yeah, it's been scary. I, I was really scared to start to start it because to be honest, I've had coworkers who mm-hmm, think I'm mm-hmm. crazy. <laughs> you know, coworkers who think I'm crazy or ask me hard questions. And um and you know, I don't feel I'm the best speaker by any means, but I just feel really, really called to wow. stand up for this well, group. Kudos I do. to you and I'm right yeah. beside you. And I and I have the same experiences with colleagues that don't understand and and part the part of the hard piece to it is it's hard to explain it really is and that's another reason to have self-advocates in the front because they're experiencing it they're living it they should be it's most respectful to have them explaining it and and talking to um others about their experiences and their advice for everyone and it's such a faster shift when that happens Oh, it is. It is. And it really shows you like you have, you know, before you see someone speak, you have this thought of them in in your mind and why they act the way they act. And then they explain themselves. And it was a whole different story. And you're like, oh, oh my gosh, you know, well, thank you so much for being with me today. Like I said, ever since I visited your school, it was just mind blowing situation. And I'm just happy and feel lucky that well, you this was a lot um, of come fun. to join me today a lot of fun and I hope that we see each other again soon too